hear this reading from Holy Scripture from Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus. If he found persons who belonged to the way, whether men or women, these letters would authorize him to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. During the journey, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? Saul asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are harassing, came the reply. Now get up and enter the city. You will be told what you must do. Those traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice, but saw no one. After they picked Saul up from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Is it on now? Oh, there we go. Okay. Good morning again. Uh, thanks for introducing uh, the prayer team, uh, Tim, and for sharing scriptures today. Uh, I wanted to mention a little bit about this as well. Some of you know that I'm kind of on this journey with you through May, since uh, your senior pastor, Terry, is uh, on sabbatical. And it's my privilege to be uh, sharing the message each week. Uh, this is my third week now, and uh, next week we'll close it out. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted to invite you to be a part of uh, is a Congregational Excellence Prayer Team. I serve as the Director of Congregational Excellence uh, for the State of Missouri in the United Methodist Church. What that means is I help to start new churches, new places for new people, and also transform existing churches across the state of Missouri. And uh, that's kind of a big job. I'm on the road a lot and get to see a, a lot of fantastic things uh, that God is doing in churches all across the state. Uh, but I realized not long after I got into this position that uh, this was a bigger job that I could do. Uh, I, I needed some help way beyond me. Uh, and actually one morning, uh, early in the morning, I was praying and, and God kind of tapped me on the shoulder and just uh, whispered to me, not in an audible voice, but just a, a little impression on my heart. You know, maybe you should have a few more people praying about this, Roger. I thought, that's a good idea, Lord. So uh, at that point, we started this Congregational Excellence Prayer Team. Uh, and if you would like to be a part of it, that's what this uh, little sign-up sheet is in your bulletin today. Uh, all it is is asking you to pray for a few moments each day that God's grace will be shed across Missouri in such a way that we'd be able to start new churches and transform existing churches uh, all across our state. Uh, my hope was originally we would have maybe 150, 200 people uh, that would be praying every day for this, uh, this kind of thing. And now we are at 768 uh, as of uh, last count. And uh, I'm praying and the, the rest of the team is praying that we will get to 1,000 people this year. Because I believe that, that uh, more prayer releases more of the power of God. So I'm inviting you to partner with us if you would. Now, here's the good news about this. There are no meetings. Hallelujah. All right? You just pray wherever you are each day. 
Uh, and uh, if you sign up, we'll also send you one of these little wristbands uh, that is a little reminder to pray. I wear this every day. It says, Lord, multiply your kingdom through us. We'll just send that to you in the mail. Uh, and by the way, you can sign up for email to receive a, a monthly update that I'll send out or by snail mail, whatever works best for you. Uh, and that will give you a little teaching on prayer and then some specific prayer points uh, that we'll be focusing on as a group through the course of that month. So speaking of prayer, let's uh, join together and do that. Lord, we want to invite you into this place. We know you've, you've already been here. We've sensed your presence. We ask your Holy Spirit now to do a work in us and through us that only you can do. We would ask that you would uh, use these humble words that will be offered now so that you can do your holy work. Accomplish your purposes in us and through us. We pray it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there were two battleships assigned to a training squadron that had been at sea in heavy weather for several days. Visibility was poor, and the fog, there was a patchy fog, and the captain who was on the bridge was keeping vigil with a, a keen eye on all activity. Just after dark, the lookout spotted a light on the starboard side. The captain asked if it was steady or moving. The lookout said, steady, captain which meant that they were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain then called to the singleman, Signal the ship. We are on a collision course. Advise that you change course 20 degrees. The signal came back. Advisable for you to change course. The captain said, Send, I am a captain. Change course 20 degrees. I am a seaman, second class came the reply. Better that you change course 20 degrees. Well, at this point, the captain was furious. He said, he just spat out, send, I am a battleship. Change course. Signal came back, I am a lighthouse. <laughs> captain changed course. In the scripture today, Saul was on a collision course of his own. Now, to appreciate the magnitude of this passage, you need to know a little of the backstory. Saul was one of the most zealous religious men of his day. He was a Jewish Pharisee, which meant that he was someone who strictly adhered to the 613 Old Testament laws, the laws that we, we would call from the Old Testament what they called the Hebrew Bible. And he was vehemently against this upstart movement called the Way, which is another uh, way of talking about the early church. Just a couple of chapters before this passage that Tim read a moment ago, an early follower of Jesus named Stephen had so enraged the Jewish elders of Jerusalem that uh, his, and he did so by his testimony about Jesus and the resurrection, that they drug him out of the city and literally started throwing stones at him to kill him. Now, as this was happening, witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, concludes this violent scene by saying, and Saul approved of their killing him. This is an important part of the back story. That was the beginning of a massive persecution in the early church. Saul was a brutal ringleader of the persecution. Believers scattered from Jerusalem to the countryside in every direction just to save their lives. 
Saul, however, didn't care about that. Scripture says pretty clearly that he ravaged the church. Saul would enter house after house. Think about this. Just picture this in in your mind. He would enter house after house, pulling men and women out who claimed to be followers of the way and then arresting them and sending them to prison. When we get to today's passage, Saul is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus. And he gets so lathered up that he goes to the high priest in Jerusalem and asks for letters to take to the synagogues in Damascus so he can find anybody that might be a follower of the way there and put them in chains and bring them back to Jerusalem, put them in prison, and likely have them executed. As Saul is approaching Damascus, there's this sudden light from heaven, and he is immediately uh, taken to the ground. He just falls right to the ground. Here's this voice that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And, of course, he's got no idea what's going on. So he says, like, who are you? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And this is important because Jesus not only identifies himself, he identifies with those whom Saul is persecuting. Basically, he says, when you're doing that, Saul, you're doing that to me. Jesus tells him then, get up, enter the city, uh, and I'm going to tell you what you are to do. Now, when Saul gets up, his eyes were open, but he couldn't see. Uh, The men that were with him had to lead him by hand into the city of Damascus. Saul couldn't see and then didn't eat or drink for three days, almost as if he was dead for three days. Now, if this isn't wild enough, uh, there's more to the story. Uh, in, In Damascus, there's this disciple... Uh, named Ananias. He's probably one of the believers that scattered from Jerusalem uh, during the persecution. And the Lord appears to him in a vision and tells him, Ananias, go to Straight Street at the house of Judas and look for a man named Saul who's from Tarsus and he's praying right now. He's, he is seeing a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him to restore his sight. Now, get, get the bigger picture of this. This is really a, a quite amazing story. Uh, so, So here's Ananias who's praying, and as he's praying, he receives a vision of the Lord. And the Lord comes and speaks to him and says, Now, Ananias, this is what I want you to do with this guy named Saul. And by the way, while we're talking right now, Saul is praying, and he's seeing a vision of you, Ananias, coming to him to lay hands on him to restore his sight. So basically, this is the first recorded instance in history of FaceTime. All right. Now, if you're Ananias, would you be excited about this assignment? Not really. No. Uh, in fact, he argues with Jesus. He says, um, Lord, I don't think this is really a good idea. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you know this, but this, this dude that you want me to go see, I mean, he's done a lot of evil stuff to your saints in Jerusalem, and he's come here to do the same kind of thing. So, uh, you know, thanks for thinking of me and all, Lord. But um, then the Lord says, go, for he is my chosen instrument to bring my name before the Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. Now, 
don't know about you, but if I was Ananias, I think I'd be scratching my head uh, saying, are we talking about the same guy? Because this guy doesn't look like instrument of God material. But to his credit, Ananias does what Jesus says to do, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it causes him to risk his own life. Ananias shows up at Judah's house, lays his hand uh, on Saul uh, and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fall from his eyes. And he's able to see again. Saul gets up. He's baptized. He takes some food. And then he spends a few days with the disciples there in Damascus and immediately begins to proclaim Jesus. He says, Jesus is the Son of God. Now, catch this. A couple weeks before that, if someone had done that, Saul would have slapped chains on him and sent him to prison. This is a stunning change of course. I mean, he goes from persecutor of the faith to proclaimer of it. So let's stop there for a moment. What, what, what about uh, this passage can we learn uh, about the risen Jesus? Well, first of all, he, he knows your name. Did you notice that in the passage? That when Jesus shows up, he calls each person by name, Saul, Ananias, and the truth is he knows your name too. And he knows where you are right now because in this passage, here's Jesus, the risen Jesus, who finds Saul precisely at the point that he is on his journey to Damascus. I mean, he's on the move, Jesus finds him. He finds Ananias who's staying someplace in Damascus. He, he knows where Judas's house is on Straight Street. Jesus knows where you are right now, not just because you're in church. Wherever you are. And uh, I, I think it says that Jesus knows when you're praying. And he knows the purpose that he has for your life. And he's pretty clear about it. What Ananias, I think, can teach us is don't argue with Jesus. Not a good thing. Doesn't usually go well. Uh, because Jesus knows what he's doing. Instead, listen to what Jesus says and do it. That's the definition of obedience. Listen and do. Last thing this passage says to me is our eyes can be open. And we may still be blind to some really important truths. Now, some of you may uh, be thinking to yourselves, that's a great resurrection story, Roger. Love it. Uh, but that kind of thing doesn't really happen to people today, does it? Well, that's why I want to introduce you to my friend Shane Laswell. Uh, he lives about 25 miles away from here in Darden Prairie. And I think it'd be great for him to tell us his story. That time I drank almost every day. I mean, at least every other day. 
But then that's when I started seeking out harder drugs and got introduced to meth and kept meth and pills from the age of 18 until 20 days before my 39th birthday. I didn't care if I lived or died from day to day, um, but I knew I had a plan that I would execute right after March 24th. I knew it would be the last score. I, I drained my bank account um, of all my cash that, that I had. Came back here to the exact hotel that that I was in April 5th, 2012. I knew that it was it, I was done. Uh, my letter was already written to my family, loaded up a syringe and went into the bathroom and, and shot up with the sole purpose of not caring if I wake up, hoping I wouldn't wake up. Next day I woke up still alive. I guess because of being introduced to, to church and to Jesus a few times throughout my life, um, when I woke up, that, that's when I knew there was a God. Um, at first I was kind of mad, and then it was confusion. How, why? Um, obviously there's a God, now it's up to me to figure out why he kept me alive. What am I now gonna do with this life? This has been, for me, an amazing journey. Uh, six years ago, I would have never thought that, hey, you're gonna be a pastor of recovery. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just a drug addict trying to figure out life. And um, so to be blessed with this, this opportunity to, to say, hey, God can do this in your life life change is what it's about in anybody whether you're an addict you're a codependent you can find healing and freedom in Jesus you talk about a change of course I mean here's a guy that in a few short years went from being a drug addict to a recovery pastor I mean, it's amazing it's an amazing story you talk about uh, someone who's had scales fall from their eyes. I mean, he's, he's gone from lost to leader, from aimlessly drifting to his God destiny. Uh, now Shane serves as the full-time pastor at Morningstar United Methodist Church uh, in their Celebrate Recovery ministry that has over 250 people who are overcoming hurts, habits, and hang-ups every Thursday night. It's phenomenal. This guy is a fantastic leader, and God is using him in a powerful way. Now, I know that some of you still may be thinking, well, Shane's life, that's another great, an amazing resurrection story, Roger, but what about someone like me? You know, I, I've, I've never persecuted anyone other than my dog when I didn't feed them one time, uh, and I've, I've, I've never been a drug addict. Uh, I grew up in the church. I, I, I tried to do the right thing, you know, be a good person. But I've never seen a light shine from heaven down on me. I've never had Jesus audibly speak to me. 
So does Jesus want me to change my course? Let me tell you about a pastor's kid named Jackie. Now, he had uh, earned a master's degree in goodness by age 10. Uh, he could spout off Bible verses by heart. He excelled in following all the rules. When he came of age, he decided to follow in his father's footsteps, and he became a pastor. Uh, by sheer willpower, he rigorously pursued holy living uh, through doing all kinds of good deeds. He visited prisoners while they were in their cells. He ministered to the sick. He gave aid to the poor. He served as an overseas missionary. I mean, if anyone had built a resume of goodness, it was Jackie. And, and then life happened. A broken engagement, a falling out with the church uh, where he was serving, uh, and some inner doubts and fears left him unsure of whether he even knew God. There was something missing. One night, Jackie reluctantly went to a prayer meeting with some friends, and much to his surprise, as he listened to the speaker, he felt his heart strangely warmed. The, the very thing that he'd been searching for all of his life, he finally found Christ's personal forgiveness of his sins. And he was so shocked when he discovered what it required of him. Nothing. Not one thing. He didn't have to do anything for it. Like scales falling from his eyes, Jackie saw for the first time the futility of depending upon his own goodness to save his soul. He experienced what we call grace the undeserved, unearned love of God poured into his heart by faith. Now, some of you uh, may know Jackie, which was his mother's pet name for him, by another name, John. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. Until that prayer meeting, John had been trying to earn something that God was giving away for free. Uh, that night, a deep truth sunk into his soul that it's not about what, you can, what, what he could do for God, but what God could do for him. Wipe away his sin and empower him to live a completely new life. That's the gift of God's grace. Saul, who some of you may know better as Paul, which was his Greek name, the Apostle Paul, was well acquainted with grace. He talks about it in his letter to the church that he started in Ephesus. He says, for it's by grace, God's grace, that you have been saved through faith. It is not the result of your own efforts, but God's gift, so that no one may boast about it. When, when those scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he became known as Paul, the greatest Christian missionary in history, the author of most of the New Testament of the Bible, I think this is what he saw for the first time, the true power of grace. Because keep in mind that Saul was both a violent persecutor of the faith, which in his mind and others made him very, very bad, and he was also a religious Pharisee, 
you know, a strict follower of God's law, which in his mind and others made him very, very good. So here's this guy who at the same time is both very, very bad and very, very good. Maybe you know someone like that. And what Saul, who became Paul, saw is that he could not be bad enough to lose God's love for him. But he also could not be good enough to earn it. For the first time, he saw God's love is not based on what you do, but on who you are. a beloved child of the king. I love the way author Tim Keller uh, talks about this. He says, in Jesus' gospel, everyone is wrong. Everyone is loved. And everyone is called to recognize this and change. And this is the key. In, In every one of these resurrection stories, Saul, Shane, John Wesley, they all came at it from different angles. They all had very different lives yet they all experienced the risen Jesus and decided to change course. Uh, they, They changed their mind and their attitude and their behavior. They did a 180. It was as if they were going in this direction and they were going away from God and they're doing, pursuing their own things and doing their own selfish deal. And then they did a 180 turn and then went over this way toward God, pursuing all the things of God and what God has for them and God's purposes in their lives. The Bible calls that Repentance. It's a complete turnaround. That change of course in each of their lives led them to experience a love and purpose for their lives that is continuing to change lives to this very day. So, is there any change of course that you need to make today. I mean, maybe you've been bulldozing through life, uh, trying to get everyone to see things and do things the way you think they ought to be done, uh, including God. Uh, and you're realizing that that's just not working out so well, not just for you, but for the people around you. And you've perhaps decided it's not even honoring God. Maybe you've been drifting aimlessly uh, and you know it's time to seek your true purpose, not from a book or from a seminar or from some self-help guru, but from the one who, true God, who loves you more than you love yourself. Maybe you're wondering if, in fact, the risen Jesus can actually forgive you for the stuff that you've done. It's fine that Jesus can forgive other people at other times, but what about me? And it's because you are just not sure, it's paralyzing you spiritually. I mean, whatever the case may be, here's the good news in this. Jesus knows your name. He knows where you are right now. He has a purpose for your life. And he loves you. 
more than you can possibly comprehend. And that love is not based on what you have done, good or bad. It's based on who you are. So let me invite you, just let the scales fall from your eyes. Stop trying to earn a relationship with God and just receive the love that Jesus is giving away for free. When you do, it'll change your course. Let's pray. Lord, we want to invite you right now by the power of your Holy Spirit to do whatever course changing needs to happen in each of our lives. We invite you to come close to meet us right where we are because you know where we are. And call us out by name. And lead us by love into the life uh, that you have created us for, the purpose that you have had in mind. You know how scary that can be for us. You know how uh, we like to control things and uh, put things on our own path. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to uh, open our hands up and surrender our lives into your life. Let you take us by the hand and lead us to that place that you want us to go, the course that you have set out for us. We trust you. We know you can do it. We ask you to do it in your precious and powerful name. Amen.